0: you are listening to a mint podcast brought to you by hd smartcast
1: hi everyone welcome to another episode of why not mint money your everyday personal finance podcast this is akshat rodgi your host from mint's personal finance team and today i have nikhil agarwal with me who is the founder and ceo of grip invest today we discuss an important and emerging asset class for the retail that is pass-through certificates it's an alternate fixed income product that was earlier meant for institutions and now being offered to retail investors so do it union
0: welcome to why not mint money a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth so let's get started with your money journey
1: so welcome everyone to another episode of Buy Not Mint Money. So today we have uh, Nikhil with us again, who is the CEO and founder of Grip Invest. And today we have an interesting topic for us to discuss. It's a it's an instrument called PTCs or SDI's. Full form stands for Pass 2 Certificates or Securitized Debt Instruments. You might have heard about the, these products from the 2007-8 crisis in the US CDOs. It has some parallels to it. But today we'll dissect as to how PDCs in India's work. What are its structure? What is its structure? What are the risk mitigants built by RBI as well as some firms to kind of uh, not let that happen? What happened in the US and still what risks persist in this market so Nikhil over to you first Uh, we could discuss the structure like which parties are involved what are their roles so over to you. Thanks so much Akshat Uh,
0: and to Livement to having me part of this podcast Uh, I loved how you introduced PTCs Um, they definitely have some some correlation to what is called the CDOs in the US, uh, home, home uh, loan market crisis. But obviously, uh, not all good things become bad. I think we need to peel the onion to a little bit understand more about the security structures and what it means for investors. What part of PTCs can become interesting fixed income investments for investors? And thank you for giving an opportunity for us to discuss it. Um, To answer your question, the PTC market in India or the PTC structure in India is regulated by both RBI and by SEBI and very clearly puts in place roles of parties, structures, and obligations to be fulfilled to create an offering for investors. When that investment offering is created for individual investors, there is even a higher standard of disclosure and requirements around it i'll spend a few minutes talking about these things the first yeah. party is an is what is called an originator an originator and let's take the example of a nbfc is someone who has originated the underlying loans or assets that are being put into the ptc that the ptc constitutes of one of the recent transactions that we have on the platform consisted of an NBFC who has given out 1.3 lakh loans. And out of that 1.3 lakh loans, 6,000 loans based on RBI's criteria for loan tenure, loan seasoning were selected. In some ways, this was a high quality pool of the NBFC's total pool. So this NBFC as the originator, originated, underwrote, and gave out money to 6,000 different individuals and these 6,000 loans are the first part of this PTC transaction. The second part is a trust managed by a SEBI registered trustee. This trust is created for the sole purpose of facilitating this transaction and all the interest and principal from these 6,000 loans is assigned to this trust using what is called an escrow account. The trust in hence becomes the beneficiary of the returns from these underlying assets. The last participant is the investor where the trust issues the PTC, what is called a pass-through certificate or in the language of GRIP, an SDI, to an investor. This instrument allows them to receive the returns from the underlying loans. To summarize, there is an NBFC as an originator, assigning already issued loans to a special purpose vehicle trust, which then issues the PTC to an investor. It may seem complicated, but all of this structure is put in place to create a lot of security and ease of convenience and ease of transaction for the mm-hmm. investor because an investor is able to at a small ticket size access a diversified pool of loans originated by a high quality experienced NBFC mm-hmm. as well as receive security cover often as high as 20% from the NBFC in any other structure this diversification and security would not be possible
1: understood so uh, a follow on question to the structure uh, when i was going through the structure there was a distinction made between the originator and a servicer also say a servicer or to say a trustee so like in some transactions the originator, the NBFC is a different entity and the servicer is a different entity and and there's also a trustee to the SPV. So like, what are these distinctions and uh, if, if I don't know the reason, like why is there a, uh, like why a different party in some transactions is allocated to service the PTC. Like for example, uh, a lot of times in uh, the DHFL scandal. D- due to this reason, that the servicer was different, that was a, like the primary reason why the PPCs didn't face such such kind of a default. Whereas, if, if if DHFL itself was a was a servicer of those loans for the PPC, maybe uh, more downgrades or more defaults would have happened.
0: Absolutely right, Akshat. And you know, you started this session by talking about the the safety mechanisms that RBI has put into place. The servicer and the ability of this ability to change the servicer is one such security mechanism. Originally, the NBFC is the servicer of the transaction. But RBI and SEBI allow the servicer to be changed at any point of time to another entity such that it would protect the interest of the investors. Mm-hmm. A servicer's job is to make sure that they reach out to the borrowers of those 6,000 loans I've, I set as an example, work with them in case of collections, any kind of delays, and ensure that the returns are passed to the investors through the trust. The trustee also plays a very important role in this process. The trustee represents the combined interest of all investors. Imagine, you know, Akshat, there's a 100 crore, a transaction and investors up, you know, there are 10,000 investors in this transaction. No individual investor will be able to take action in case a servicer needs to be changed or any other action needs to be taken to protect their interest. The trustee is effectively SEBI's appointed representative or SEBI's approved representative to act in behalf of these 10,000 investors the trustee can go and change the servicer and once again act in the interest of the
1: investor. Understood. Uh, one question that arises, maybe uh, you might be the right person to answer it. Why weren't PTCs or SDIs, uh, since SDIs, I think the regulation, the safety regulation came in 2008, why weren't these available to retail Earlier, as in, by before you guys started it out, and by PTCs were like PTCs were originally used by NBFCs to offload uh, their books to banks, mutual funds, and or to raise money and to provide more loans. So, why weren't what was the reasons that they were not being sold to retail? Uh, if you if you can answer that, yeah, uh,
0: you know I've spent a lot of time asking myself this question asking other people in the industry this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is not... And I would like to believe that we are the first people to create PTCs. Uh, but thankfully, we are not. PTCs have a very, very rich history and a very long history of being a successful investment product in India. As you correctly mentioned, la- till last year or till GRIP introduced it, they have been products that banks large institutions foreign banks have purchased in fact just in the last financial year 1.8 trillion rupees or 1.8 lakh crores worth of ptcs were purchased just in a single financial year and only by 100 investors right this market has actually been a lucrative market for investment but it has been inaccessible for retail investors Actually, I, I think the answer I have come to on why it's not happened before is actually because of two reasons. One, technology, and technology that allows for product availability at small at a small cost of distribution, and the second is regulation. Okay. Um, I'll take the I'll talk about each one of them. It it's always been a challenge in the wealth world to bring products to retail investors because the cost of distribution doesn't justify offering it to retail investors or individual investors. Mm -hmm. A wealth manager is better off reaching out to a family office who will write multiple crores of rupees in a single conversation versus reaching out to an investor who wants to do 1 lakh rupees. It doesn't make sense, right? Imagine someone will take a car, go to a client meeting and spend an one hour convincing the person and ultimately come out with a 1 lakh rupee check. It just doesn't work for the wealth industry. Technology has changed that. Not just for PTCs, but in fact, for all investment products. We are now as an industry able to reach out to people anywhere in India, anywhere across the world and offer investment products at a fraction of the cost, which makes it viable as a business to be able to create small transaction size and retail investor compliant portfolios. GRIP, when it started, quickly received investors, NRI investors from 55 different countries. Mm. I cannot imagine how the cost of distribution to NRIs in 55 countries without the power of technology. Yeah, I think the second aspect is regulation which we owe a lot of credit to SEBI for to, to be able to see that while the stock market and the equity investments are you know growing rapidly and maturing, the fixed income market and corporate bond markets are not deep enough from a retail investor participation. The recent license framework called OBPP, which allows platforms like us to offer these products has been another significant step in this direction, including ability to use UPI for making payments, the comfort of a transaction settled on the stock exchange, has all happened in the last 12 months. And I think that is what will power this industry into the future.
1: Right. Understood, Nikhil. Uh, I think uh, it made a lot of sense for me as well as to the listeners so uh, let's 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 talk about the built-in risk mechanisms, like which kind of distinguish PTCs even for the retail investors, uh, as in how like the mechanism make it safer than other fixed income instruments, apart from obviously fixed deposits and GSECs which are the safest. You could say the sovereign guarantee on GSECs. So the thing what I came across was number one RBI mandates the. Uh, the originator to have some skin in the game in the form of uh, MRR that is minimum retention requirement and it depends upon the period of uh, uh, the duration of the PDC. So uh, could you explain me more about that uh, MRR for normal NBFCs as well as there is something called as replay, uh, replenishment period for uh, NBFCs that do receivables that factoring NBFCs, so there there is also something uh, called as a replenishment period where uh, you cannot where you cannot uh, kind of pay back the principal. And uh, uh, let's let's talk about more uh, mitigants that are built into PTCs that that you uh, are aware of.
0: Sure, I think this is a very important point and a very important differentiator between corporate bonds and PTCs and other form of fixed income instruments Um, I'll throw light on a a few security measures that are in place and I'll try to explain it uh, as well number one uh, RBI has set forth certain minimum things that every NBFC has to do before a PTC can be issued I'll give a few examples number one the loan that has been provided must at least be three months old. The NBFC should have seen three months of track record of repayments before it can put it in a PTC. In often cases, it is as much as six months old. During this time, not a single default or delay can happen and the loan must be completely up to date in terms of returns before it is put in the pool. That is the first measure. The second measure is the MMR, which you talked about where the first 5%, at least 5% of loan has to be held by the NBFC and the loss of the same must be first borne by the NBFC before it can be borne by the investor. Most NBFCs have a net NPA below 5% and this then becomes a very important security measure and a powerful security measure. The third protection is what is typically called over collateralization where the NBFC may ask for, a, for a returns on a 100 rupees loan but instead will provide 115 rupees of loan for the same price. That 15 rupees of additional loan is over-collateralization and acts as a further buffer to protect the investor. There are also concepts like EIS spread that are built in, but we'll not go into that uh, for the sake of, uh, you know, just keeping it simple. I would say the last thing is diversification. I think it's important to recognize that these are not loans or not a single loan, but actually a pool of thousands of loans. The most recent transaction done by the most recent transaction done by GRIP actually has six thousand loans pooled together. I actually, I'm also uh, happy to cover the concept mm. of uh, replenishment. Sure. This mm-hmm. is slightly delinked from security, but is a very interesting concept as you mentioned from a receivable transaction perspective. What happens in receivable transactions is There are many, there are very short term transactions, one to three months. And creating a PTC for a short term paper can sometimes be very expensive. The concept of replenishment, again, allowed from a regulatory perspective, allows the NBFC to reinvest the principal received into one or two more tranches of loans of short-term loans and convert a one-month or two-month receivable into a nine-month transaction by constantly replenishing the pool and reinvesting the principal. In this kind of a transaction, the investor receives monthly interest, but the principal comes to them at the end of time. This is called a replenishment structure and is getting increasingly popular uh, for PTCs.
1: Understood. So let's, since you said, let's not discuss EIS, but but for the sake of our listen, listeners, let's let's discuss EIS. Like it's it's an important uh, mitigant, so to say, for uh, for a PTC pool that has uh, microfinance uh, loans as an underlying, because the EIS spread is quite large in that case. So number one question is, uh, so let's let's start from. Uh, from the structure point of view, uh, and then let's get on to EIS So, so if if an originator's loan book has an uh, suppose average uh, rate of interest of twenty twenty two odd percent, so how is it distributed? How is the say, let's let's say the waterfall? If 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 I were to say who gets what? Like what does the originator keep? What does the servicer get? What what does the trustee get paid? And ultimately, ultimately, what's the EIS and what does the what do the investors get like let's let's go down that way Sure very happy to uh, let's take the example you
0: mentioned that there's a pool of loans where the average interest on those loans is 22% Now because of a variety of the security features that we talked about this loan pool when converted into a PTC may offer investors a return of 13% The delta of 22-13 or 8% is the excess interest spread. It is the excess interest that is available with the NBFC which does not need to get distributed to the investor. That's where the name comes from. However, as a security measure, the investor has access to the full 22%. Until the investor does not receive his 13%, mm-hmm.
1: that
0: excess interest spread cannot be distributed to any other party. Okay. Use a technical term, the investor is holding an A1 tranche or mm-hmm. is the highest priority on the waterfall. Right. Only when the investor's 13% is paid out, can the NBFC have any claim on the balance 8% EIS? along with what and you know, just to convert this maybe slightly tangibly, but please understand this is a rough calculation. Right. 8% divided by 13% is almost 65, 70%. Right. Which means right. that 70% of the loans have to delay their interest payment before there is an impact to the investor's returns. That is the high level of protection that gets created because of an EIS facility. Mm -hmm. In addition, there is the MMR. In addition, there is the over-collateralization. And in addition, there is the diversification across a large loan portfolio. All of these together become the protection for a PTC.
1: Understood. So... uh... I think we talked about the risk mechanisms. Let's let's talk about some of the risks that still exist uh, in these products. So obviously, there's there's a default risk that the uh, pool might default and lead to collection inefficiencies. And what what other kind of risks that that you think uh, are prevalent in PTCs? Uh, and and also let's let's uh, if you could talk about. Rating so the I think the report that you sent me, I went through it for uh for uh PDCs and NB and bonds, corporate bonds that are rated till triple uh, till double A. The default, the the rates as in what ratings that crystal gives, the default rates are pretty much uh the same, I would say less than half a percent. But the, but for uh, for ratings data investment grade triple B, I think the default rates of both PTC and corporate bonds are not very different. So how does like since we are talking about all those risk mechanism built in, but how uh, why are these why are, why are these, isn't a difference uh, if if we are going for an investment grade PTC? Yeah, so um, there is
0: a difference. So you, you know. Maybe just coming to the concept of ratings. Obviously, the higher rated, highest rating being AAA, obviously means that the rating agency has a view that this is a less likely to default. Obviously, the higher the rating, the lower the returns. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we 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 want to make sure investors understand is that they should be comfortable with the r- level of risk they're taking. At the same time, they should be appropriately rewarded. For that risk in terms of returns. Right. Um, I think the. The PTC. And, and as, as people look at. You know all these instruments to your point. Do have risk. Right. I think the question to look at. And I can understand that as an investor. There are only certain things. That can be looked at. Because of the paucity of time. Lack of time. Right. I think if there were a few things to look at. It would be. What is the rating of the PTC? If the PTC is rated, say A, am I getting additional return versus a double, rate, double A rated instrument? Maybe we can quantify by an example, Akshat. So today a double A rated bond would be somewhere between 9.5 to 10% returns. Hmm. But an A-rated PTC would be close to 13 to 13.5% returns. So that delta of 30%, does it justify the slightly higher risk I'm taking? And I think at every stage of rating, the investor must, must look at what is the rating? What is the delta of returns? I think the third thing that they should look at is the rating of the originator of the originator NBFC. If the originator NBFC is also investment grade, I think then that also implies a high degree of confidence on the servicer and the originator of the transaction. There are many other things that investors look at, can look at. Mm-hmm. On Grip's website, we publish a rating report, a deal memo, and information memorandum to educate them. But I think these are the basic things that an investor should look at. There are definitely defaults or delays that can happen. But you know, to the crystal report that you mentioned, if I if memory serves me correct, even in a single A issuance, the default rates are low single digit, right? Mm. Uh, maybe right. a couple of you know one or two percent. And right. I think right. that's where the protection that is offered by the instrument is very high and the returns, the delta in returns justify or should justify that increase in risk.
1: Get a point. Uh, so let's talk about since uh, the PTCs that uh, you guys are selling are uh, like under a SEBI framework called SDIs, and these are uh, to be listed on the exchanges. So, and we've talked about this earlier that these instruments in the secondary market have uh, technically at this point of stage no buyers or sellers. Market is very illiquid. So how, so if I want to offload, let's say as a retail investor, I want to offload uh, a PDC-SDI. So how, like what is the mechanism? For an institution, it's easy. They could probably fetch some debt brokers and like their institutions, their deal sizes are large. But for a retail investor, supposedly I want to exit earlier. So how could I do that? Yeah. Uh, I think that today there's definitely,
0: I'll admit a, a limited liquidity in the market. Um, Once again, SEBI has, under this new framework, empowered companies who take the license to act as brokers. It will, in my view, in a very short period of time, start creating an active market where if you want to offload, you could go to one of the platforms and offload it to them. We are working very actively to be able to provide the service to our users. Uh, On a best efforts basis, it is even available today. If an investor does want to sell we are happy to try to make sure that they get the required liquidity the good thing is that they are tradable right and they're held in your DMAT account which makes the process very easy till right. recently alternative fixed investments were you know just a form of a contract and impossible to exit i think we've crossed a big big hurdle by at least making them available in your DMAT account and listed on the stock exchange. The next step, which I think will happen soon enough, is to also make it uh, create an active liquid, a liquid market. I think the last point I'll add is that in the case of PTCs, mm-hmm. they are all monthly paying principal instruments.
1: Right.
0: Unlike bonds, which are end of life bullet repayments, which means that while you may not be able to have enough liquidity to sell, but you're constantly receiving your principal back. In fact, in ten or twelve months, you will receive your entire principal back. You'll have principal protection. So, because of those reasons, even though you cannot sell, you are still receiving a significant payout, which creates some amount of liquid cash at your end.
1: Understood. So, pretty much, you've covered, uh, I think, a lot of about PTCs. Just just wanted your view on how how and supposedly I want to go for an alternate fixed income product. Except for obviously like an alternate product would be a P2P or an invoice discounting or a asset leasing transaction that obviously now mostly happens through the structure only. A lot of like most of the players have stopped that LT structure and all that. And PTC. And of course, let's let's also compare uh, corporate bonds. So, how as an investor I should look at these avenues, and where should I allocate the most, and what risk factors should I uh, like think while investing? So, let's let's break it down for our listeners. If you could break it down,
0: yeah, uh, happy to. Before uh, going specific, I think there are two two three generic principles that are always true. One is, uh, please diversify. Uh, I don't think I or anyone else would advise to put all the money in any single product. Uh, Please put it across products. Please put it across platforms. That's number one. Number two is, uh, depending on the risk of the instrument and depending on where you are in your journey, allocate capital that you are, are willing to take certain risk on. Uh, this is not necessarily the money that you want to keep for a rainy day, but this is some money that you want to see higher growth on returns. Uh, I think these are two generic principles people should apply across the board. Um, I think the, the, actually, if I can, I'm sorry, but if I can add a third principle, I think it's imperative sure, sure. now to invest in a platform that is regulated. We saw what happened to crypto, which was unregulated platforms, which, impacted invest- investors adversely when they came under a regulatory framework. The regulators are acting in the interest of investors and there are, they are creating the right regulatory frameworks, OBPP, P2P guidelines, and you should only invest in products or on platforms that are regulated. So these are three common principles. I think the uh, to be maybe more nuanced, Akshay, I would say that uh, one of the big challenges I can see investors facing is actually not knowing what is the risk of the instrument they're investing in. A P2P platform does not have a rating. P2P instruments do not have a rating. Yeah. Um, real estate platforms, commercial real estate does not have a rating. Uh, m- most other platform, most of the products don't have ratings. One of the things. For especially for individual investors who are getting into this, one of the most powerful ways of understanding at least relative risk is credit rating. And I would urge investors to think about giving more preference to platforms like that because otherwise it's very hard to judge what the risk is likely to be. SEBI has now made it mandatory for all fixed income products to be rated and listed if they're offered to individual investors. I think that's an important consideration to keep into mind. I think the rest, as I mentioned earlier, is to really look at how much returns you're getting for the risk you're taking. Um, I would argue that the PTC product originated by an NBFC with a 20% protection, credit rating, listing, is a different format of P2P. right? Because P2P is also ultimately a loan, but it has no security cover and it it is not originated by an NBFC. For this difference in risk, I think the returns are actually very attractive for something like a PTC paper. Uh, So I think these are the very high level without being super sophisticated, without having, being an expert in finance, I think investors can look at to
1: make their decision on where to invest. so that definitely gives a perspective to our listeners. So uh, I think those are the major questions from my side anything uh, that you would like to add at the end and then we could uh, finish this off yeah I think one of the most things actually we are are very excited about is uh,
0: is to constantly bring these instruments at a lower ticket size not because it allows just allows more people to participate but it allows one additional layer of diversification to happen Imagine if you had a 10 lakh rupee allocation or you had a 10 lakh rupee portfolio and the minimum ticket size was 10 lakh rupees. You could only make one investment. Right. But if we could offer you a minimum ticket size of 1 lakh rupee, you could make 10 1 lakh rupee investments in different different products and further mitigate your risk. We have seen that play out so successfully for users on a platform. There are users who have made um, I think the, the largest count is 117 individual investments at small ticket sizes. So, while the user does not have a very large portfolio, but because of being able to make small investments, he has built an incredibly diversified portfolio, which completely mitigates his chance of risk uh, of uh, capital loss. I think that is something we're excited about. And in the next one week uh, or 10 days, we will launch. A integration with the stock exchange, with the national stock exchange on our platform that allows users to use UPI, NEFT, to make, to buy transactions in a single lot size. okay, Reducing the ticket size even further and making making this accessible and making diversification more accessible for mm-hmm. investors. Uh, once again, this is powered by SEBI's recent OBPP regulations and we're excited to be launching uh,
1: this experience for our investors. That's interesting and uh, all the best to you guys for that. Thank you. So, uh, so yeah, that's all and uh, thank you so much for tuning in to our listeners and thank you so much, Nikhil.
0: Thank you so much, Akshat, for hosting me. Always a pleasure to do this with you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in. If you have any further questions, you could reach out to me on Twitter or X at the rate Rahdi underscore Akshat. You could also reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, my LinkedIn goes by Akshit Rodgi. You could also contact Nikhil on LinkedIn and Grip through their respective pages. Thank you.
0: To stay updated on this podcast, follow us at HD Smartcast on all the major social media platforms. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to
1: www.hdsmartcast.com.